quite sure about uh, love, but I can tell you one thing: this Guardians lineup is like a roller coaster. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> I am James Mastrucci, as always, laughing underneath my introductory joke. He has no idea what is coming every time. Is Brian Fraley? Brian, how you doing? I'm doing good, my friend, and uh, it's my favorite part of the show. I always look forward to the intro, so yeah, they always catch me by surprise. I never quite know what to expect. Well, uh, as everyone knows, I do find them probably like five minutes before we record, so <laughs> it's always a wild card of what it's going to be. Honestly. Yeah, we had a little bit of a, a little bit of a break in recording too, um, just due to some events and life things taking place. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's been six days. So in the past six days, I've been contemplating what it was going to be, and I didn't even come close. <laughs> well, I felt roller coaster was a pretty good, uh, you know, analogy to make with this team. But before we get into it, this is guarding the corner. Uh, this is a this is believe on podcast. We talk about Guardians baseball. Uh, subscribe, like, tell your friends, comment, share, rate five stars. Uh, it is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google, Podchaser, TuneIn, and thisisbelieveone.com. All right, I got Do all the boring all stuff. Yes. <laughs> all right, we got all the yeah, boring stuff out of, out of the way. <laughs> let's let's get to We're it. We're freaking um... again. <laughs> we are uh. streaking again yes so let's get right into it the guardians are back on a winning streak uh it started with the nine to eight victory in oakland so why don't we start from there and we'll get rolling that's a great spot to start um very exciting game honestly Uh, it was the beginning of what seems to be a nice little hot streak for andres jimenez had a grand slam in this one and, yeah, uh, first career Grand Slam for Andres, so that was awesome to see. Very impressive to see because, you know, we're looking for offense. You know, uh, they haven't really been all that impressive during their road trip. Uh, the trip to Los Angeles to take on the Angels, sort of a low point, um, especially after how emotional things got towards the end of that Yankee series. But coming in, taking game one, 9-8, Using the long ball, something that they really haven't used a whole bunch this year. It's usually been the singles, death by a thousand paper cut strategy. But, you know, Jose, Andres Jimenez, Josh Naylor, all home ring. Jose also had a, you know, two RBI doubles. So this was a solid uh, power outing from this uh, group. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, power outing. Um, definitely not the typical Guardians game plan for uh, winning a ball game. But like you said, when you're coming off an emotional series and you know getting swept, you, you got to come into the game with with that kind of outlook. You know that we got to do anything it takes to win. So if that means swinging for the fences a little bit, you know whatever it takes. And uh, yeah, so they happen to capitalize and uh, they went yard a few times in a park that's not that easy to go yarding. No, the uh, Oakland Coliseum, or whatever the hell they call it now, um, is not a hitter's park by any means. Right. I don't know if you guys follow on Twitter. There's an account called Will It Dong. And <laughs> it, and they, uh, they live tweet during games uh, what ballparks the, the most recent hit would have been out in. So say there's a, a, a ball caught at the warning track, it'll be like, this would have been a home run in 23 of 30 MLB stadiums. It's really cool account, really funny name. So yeah, go follow that. That's a, it is a good account to follow. It's very entertaining. Um, is there anything particular about the Oakland Coliseum? 
in the home runs from this weekend about uh, Will It Dong or not? Or uh, Nothing in particular that I recall uh, other than, you know, the ones that are hit, you know, left center, right center are really deep there. Um, so a couple of those were like this would have donged in about five out of 30 parks. But, uh, you know, they made it over the fence. So that's all that matters. Yeah, it can go over the fence by 50 feet. It could be a wall scraper. I don't care as long as uh, Guardian's runs come across the score, to be honest with you. It's same here. Inside the park, outside the park. I do not care. Uh, a run is a run, especially when you're uh, on a losing streak like we were on. So, yeah, very good to see. Um, yeah, all three of those did dong, and that's all that matters. I love that dong is now a verb, too. Yeah, that's it's a, it's a great, great... Um... Uh, multi-purpose word it's yes a very purpose word yes that's that's the uh, that is what i was trying to think of there multi-purpose word perfect but uh <laughs> pitching uh still not a great outing from aaron savali um concern meter for you he's a couple starts in now his era is still over 10 uh yeah a little more concerned about this one than some of the other early season struggles that i've seen uh, just because he just did not have it, you know, like the, there's times when you get, you know, you get tattooed and, uh, you know, you just tip your cap cause it's some, you know, good hitters get to you and, you know, bounces go your way. Uh, but that was not the story of this outing for Savali. I didn't feel like he was missing by, you know, usually we're like, ah, he's just missing, but no, he was missing bad and, uh, they made him pay for it. So yeah, I am a little concerned because it, it doesn't seem to, to see like he is working his way out of it yet. So uh, until he shows me something, um, yeah, I'm a little worried about this one. So it, it's been very rough for Savali so far. And, you know, you're hoping that he was able to build off of what he's, I guess, worked to put together so far. His first two starts were okay. He didn't go particularly deep, just seven and a third innings uh, over two games. But he allowed... Five runs, eight total runs came across to score. Uh, some defensive, uh, let's call them gaffes, did not help him. Yeah, um, that's a, a good word for it. And then I, ha- I have this stat right here. Uh, it says that Savali has given up 15 earned runs over his last 11 innings of work. So uh, his most recent outings, not good. So, yeah, you, you're right. He did have a start that you were hoping that he could build off of. And uh, that doesn't appear to be the case as he is uh, on a little bit of a slide right now. Yeah. You know, in the last two games uh, he's gone just seven innings. He's allowed 14 total hits, six runs a piece. He has nearly, he has identical stat lines except for innings pitched seven runs or six runs, seven hits, one walk, three strikeouts, one home run, one hit by pitch in his last two starts. That's kind of remarkable in a way. Uh, just cause those, you know, they all sound kind of arbitrary, but like to do the exact same outing back to back, I guess at least he's consistent if I'm looking for a positive here. <laughs> um, but that's about the best thing I could say about that outing. Uh, cause yeah, those are not numbers you want to duplicate from one start to the next. Those are numbers you look to break free from. Yeah. Not great numbers. Uh, and like I said, you know, coming into the, uh, Coming into this year, you're hoping that he was able to build upon his 2021 season, where it looked like he was on his way to becoming a, a you know like a dude. You know, 3.84 yeah. ERA last year, 1.18 WHIP. Strikeouts per nine are never impressive, but he's not a big strikeout guy. Just 7.2 last year. But you thought that 
you know, 2020 was weird. You know, he came in in 2019. He was fantastic that year. Mm-hmm. 10 starts, 2-3-4 two, two, ERA, a whip just over one. You thought, like, okay, 2020, whatever, throw it out. It's weird. 2021, yeah, weird he looked he looked better, looked closer to what we saw. But this year's just been a complete disaster. I mean, is is he just going to be like an every other year guy? Because those guys exist where it's just every other year it's... He could be. Um, I wonder how much of this, too, has to do with, like, MLB changing the ball from season to season, you know? Because uh, you're right. There are guys that, like, they just one year they have it and they look great. And they look like they're, uh, like you said, a dude. And he really did look like that. And then the next year it's just like they're, they just don't show up. Um, so, yeah, it, make, it makes you wonder what what exactly, you know, is going on with him in particular. But, you know, we did have the short spring, a um, little bit of a weird start to the season. Uh, so I will give him the benefit of the doubt there. But, you know, like you said, he's, he hasn't shown us what we saw um, when we thought he was going to be a really, you know, valuable guy in, uh, in our starting rotation. Yeah, and, you know, you looked at uh, how he did um... – <clears throat> You know, in in these starts, he just he doesn't look right. He doesn't. He yeah. Does, something's off. Maybe it is the ball. I mean, you, you look at some of the other pitchers in on the staff here. Uh, you know, Plesac has not uh, been particularly doing well in the in the the stat cast numbers. Uh, Shane Bieber's velocity is down a couple miles per hour as well. So it's it, it's something. Yeah. To and James, those last two things you said would really concern me. But you know, as I've been watching Major League Baseball this year, it, that's kind of the story league wide. Um, you see a lot of guys that are, you know, their velocity's down a, a mile or two per hour, um, and and that's one of the main reasons why I said, you know, maybe part of his struggle is he's just not adjusting to the new ball well, um, because it seems like a lot of guys, you know, aren't getting the velocity they were, and it also seems that the ball's not carrying like it was. So, you know, it, when you're a guy that's not a big strikeout guy and you put the ball in play a lot, you know, you depend on, you know, kind of knowing how the ball is going to come off the bat. And it, it's just been kind of a, a mystery across the league this year why so many people have, you know, their velocity down from where it was a season ago. And, and that's probably what it is. I mean, the humidor has had a, an effect on the ball, and you see a lot of teams where, I mean, let's be honest here, the ball is probably deadened to begin with. And then yep. they put it in the humidor, which is only going to deaden it more. That's why we're seeing so many like, warning track flyouts. We're not seeing as many home runs as we did a year ago at the same time. Uh, yeah. So. I- I'd love to see a Will It Dong account for the old ball. <laughs> 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 if this was the old ball, Will It Dong. Um, no, but you're you're right. So it's something to keep an eye on. It's definitely a storyline um, within the Guardians organization. Um, but I-, I do think it's more of a league-wide thing. Um, and, and that's why it's just kind of puzzling and you have to question things that, you know, some people might think that's silly, but you know, when you're, you're a guy that depends on, uh, on accuracy and location, you know, just an inch or two, the, the wrong direction, major league baseball players are going to make you pay for that. You know, you can get away with it in double A, triple A, but you know, when you're up here, you know, it, if you're just an inch or two off, you know, that, that can make or break your entire night. Yeah, and it just it just seems like that's what's happened to a lot of guys right now. You see a lot of guys you're you're normal to seeing you know pitch better or at least be consistent middle of the road guys. Yeah. And you're just seeing just like what the hell is this? I mean 
I mean, it's happened pretty much across the board for most guys. I mean, shit, we talked about him before, but, you know, Garrett Cole, before his outing against the uh, Guardians this past weekend, he was, wasn't doing anything particularly no. well. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was off. He was way off. Then, you know, a couple of the guys we faced in this series in Oakland were not doing particularly well. I mean, I, I think Frankie Montas is a better pitcher than someone who gives up five runs in five innings while walking four guys and allowing two you know, two dongs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but, I, I you mean, know, that's what happened. Right. He's the, he's still the ace on that staff. You know, you you, you got to expect him to pitch better than he did. Um, so you're right. You know, it, it, this wasn't a particular good outing for him either. Um, so, yeah, you, you just see pitchers all over the place struggling. And it's, uh, it's something that's going to continue to be a storyline until, you know, we figure out what's going on with it or they make a change to the ball or whatever they decide to do in the future. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a storyline. And, you know, I just, I think it's something worth following. But uh, let's talk about some good pitching in this game. Trevor Steffen, he's becoming yes. one of my favorite bullpen arms, honestly. My God, isn't he a breath of fresh air coming out of there? Yeah. Uh, he, he, Took on two innings. He struck out two guys. Needed 19 pitches to do it. 16 strikes. The dude throws strikes. He strikes guys out. And up to this point, he is not allowed to run. Yeah, incredible. Uh, 0.0 ERA. Um, and, and he's got some outings in. You know, we've, we've seen him out there a few times. So it's it's not like this is only his second or third appearance. Um, it, and he's already got, you know, the, the Ws. He, he got the W in this game. So he's got mm-hmm. a couple wins to his credit, too. I mean, the one thing I've noticed from, you know, just paying attention to baseball, but mostly, uh, you know, I've brought up I play fantasy baseball before on this, is that mm-hmm. a lot of these middle bullpen guys are picking up, like, cheap wins. They've, they've turned into the touchdown vulture of fantasy football, is the middle bullpen guys being the win vulture in fantasy uh, baseball. Yeah, I can see that totally. Um, you know, a lot of that is, like we said, the the shortened season mm-hmm. um, or shortened spring. Sorry, uh, it, it's kind of made them guys have been on a tight pitch count early in the year, um, and, and when guys are on a tight pitch count, you know, and they're getting pulled in the the fourth inning, fifth inning, uh, you're going to see a lot of that, and I, I think that's why we're seeing like so many, so much of it right now. Um, I think now that guys are going 100, 110 pitches in and, and you know, trying to throw complete games now, um, I think we'll see less of it. But, yeah, it, it's something that you've seen all over the place, the, the cheap wins from middle relievers. Yeah, you know, it's it's not just in Cleveland. Trevor Steffen obviously has two wins. Uh, Brock Burke for the Rangers has been a, a very key arm for them, as has Will Crow for the Pirates. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a, a very similar... Uh, kind of structure teams are using uh, after their starters are not particularly able to go deep into games. They just yep. turn to another guy. It's like, all right, give me two innings, and you know, if if we have the lead or get the lead, you'll get the win. We'll call it a we'll call it a day. Yeah, it was a, a really effective outing by Trevor Steffen. Um, really, all of the the relievers outside of De Los Santos uh, were pretty lights out. You know, they were really efficient. You know, all of them were throwing strikes and like, you know, you want to see that from bullpen, bullpen guys. Mm-hmm. You, you want them to throw strikes. You want them to get guys to put the ball in play. Um, and, and you want to see quick innings. And, uh, that, that's what we got out of the bullpen in this game. And, uh, that was really good to see. Uh, cause you know, it was a one run game in the end. So that, that, that made all of the difference that the bullpen picked up Savali in this game in the way that they did. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Emmanuel Classe shutting the door in the ninth, uh, allowing a hit, a hit, but also striking out a batter as well. 13 mm-hmm. pitches, 10 strikes thrown. So 
pretty solid first win. You know, I think that was the kind of emotional win they needed to propel themselves through the rest of the weekend because that was a comeback victory. That was a yep. that was two times that they hit home runs to take the lead when they were down. Mm-hmm. Uh, one time multiple runs, the other time just a run. But you know, it's those. That's a big emotional moment. And you look at the way that they played the rest of the weekend. It's like okay, that probably gave them a little bit of uh, juice. Yeah, and when you look at that losing streak we were on, you know, what we were seeing is we were giving up the first run in all those games. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the best statistical advantages you can give yourself is to, to to score early and take the lead. So when you come back more than once in one game, you know, that's always impressive to see, especially when it's a really young lineup like this because a lot of these guys are in pressure situations that, that really haven't seen games that are this important um, mm-hmm. in their careers, you know, up to this point. Um, so, yeah, the, the fact that they clawed back uh, twice in this game was huge. Um, and it, it just goes to show, like, how how bad these guys really do want to win. You know, they, they were really clawing their way out of that losing streak. Um, and, and this this win was just such a good win in so many so many ways that, like, a three-to-one three, three to one game, let's say, we, we might not have got as much out of that as we did out of this nine-day victory. Because um, they, you know, they showed us a lot of things that we didn't know they were capable of. And that's, you know, coming back from big deficits, uh, not just once, but twice. Yeah, very impressive. And, and you mentioned a three to one score. Let's use that as a perfect segue to game two. It's a yes. three to one victory for the Guardians. That was a little bit of a Freudian slip by me. I got a little ahead of myself there. I was peeking over at the next seat. And <laughs> I said, that's a good score line to throw in there. So that was a good score line. And, you know, similar uh, to the nine to eight victory, it, it was a, a late game. Two-run double from um, from Palacios that gave them the three-to-one victory. Uh, yes, absolutely massive uh, for Palacios to get his his first and second RBI in that fashion is just massive for a young guy that's you know just trying to break into the big leagues, um, and, and for him to do it in, in hero's fashion. Uh, I wish it would have been at home. You know, it would have been sweet if that was a bottom of the ninth walkout situation or walk-off situation. Um, but, it, you know, in this instance, Classe came in and shut the door, so we, we did get the victory. Um, mm-hmm. So that did end up being the game-winning hit there. Yeah, and that was a pinch hit uh, two-run double for Palacios, who was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, taking the spot of the hitless hedges at that moment uh, in time. Um, right. <laughs> speaking Which, of the uh, hedges. Hit- Hitless Hedges. I mean, that's a pretty good nickname for him because he he appears to be hitless in more games than he hits. So I mean, what more can you say? The dude's he he's hitless. Struggling. He's struggling. Yeah, for for more yeah. often than not. But let's talk about some positive in this game. Uh, we saw the return yes. of Stephen Kwan. He had casual two for four. You know, not a big deal. Real casual two for four. <laughs> Miles Straw was one for three. Owen Miller one for three. Uh, Jimenez won for four. I mean, so pretty solid production across the lineup from the guys you normally see. Uh, Naylor is also one for four as well. And 0 for, for, uh, for Jose in this game. 0 for four. Yeah, and this is huge because every, everybody's going to have a game like that. So when when Jose can go 0 for four and you can walk away with the victory, mm-hmm. um, that's that's massive. Um, so this was another win that was really more than just a three to one win. You know, it was a game where for the first time it was all the other guys doing the work where, you know, Ramirez, we've seen him be the hero all year long. You know, he's having an MVP caliber season. Um, so that, that was a really positive thing to see as well. Yeah. And so, you know, Ramirez 
uh, was over for in this game. Reyes did not play in this game. So those are two of your power bats right there. And for for teams in similar situations to Cleveland and similar situations to teams in transition or even teams that aren't particularly good, if you don't have one of your power bats in the lineup and the other one that does provide power goes 0 for 4, you usually lose. <laughs> yep. That, yeah, that's that's usually the case. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Framil had really been struggling up to this point, you know, so uh, Hosey's had to do a lot of the heavy lifting by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Framil's really fortunate that he's off to such a good start because if he wasn't, man, this team would be in a whole different place right now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination of Jose coming out of the gate so fast and Owen Miller, you know, playing as well as he has and Stephen Kwan and Miles Straw and Andre Jimenez. I mean, all the all the young guys are, are stepping yes. up, which is so key for a team when you're trying to take a step forward, which I think that's the ultimate goal for the Guardians this year is to take a step forward from last year. But it's doing so with, with the young guys and, you know, not hanging on the guys that don't need to be here longer than they should have, but we'll get into more of that in a little bit, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, there's more of that to come. That's a little tease there. Yeah. Um, but I, I agree with you. You know, you you, you want to see the young guys come through um, in clutch situations, and um, I, I think that improvement from this season over last season and to step forward is uh, it's a really good goal for this team. Um, just just get better, you know, how, how, and give these young guys the experience they need to when, you know, a year or two down the line when we're in position to contend, uh, they've been there and they've done that, you know. So there, there's a lot to learn from this season, even if we don't win the AL Central or make the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's a lot to take uh, from all 162 of these games. Yeah, it's about establishing a, a foundation and determining which pieces – that you want to have moving forward and which ones are expendable. Yes. That's, that's uh, absolutely. really what it is. But uh, yeah. we haven't talked about him yet, but Shane Bieber doing Shane Bieber things. Uh, seven innings, seven hits, one run allowed, one walk, seven strikeouts. That one run was allowed on a home run by, uh, I believe it's Sean Noisy. Yeah, Noisy is how you say that. Um, yeah, Sheldon, Sheldon Noisy. Yeah, he, he hit a, a 404 homer in the bottom of the fifth, and that's the only run that was scored off of Bieber. Um, he did a really good job scattering his hits uh, across this game because seven hits, you know, you can get a couple of runs off that if they're mm-hmm. in chunks. Um, but he really scattered them out. Um, and because of that, you know, he, he got to leave the game with only the one and run. So he had a really great day. Uh, and more important than anything else for Bieber is that he went seven complete, you know, he went seven whole innings. Uh, and he threw 105 pitches. And mm-hmm. I think that's really, really, really important to see him reach those two plateaus, um, you know, for the first time this season. Yeah, very important for that. Uh, I, he's going to get himself, uh, you know, a win next time out, I feel. Or at least he'll be yeah, in a position to, to get a win next time out. He's he's getting He's getting there. He's getting there. Yeah, he's getting to Groms. You know, you 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 said it episode one, and it's been a theme for uh, a lot of pitchers. Uh, just the bats not showing up when these guys are lights out. Uh, so, you know, he he should have more than just the one win right now. But you know, he's pitching well enough. They'll come. They'll come. Are Are you not glad though that we don't look at pitchers' wins and losses like we like we used to? Oh Jesus, uh, yes. Because <laughs> I mean, th- this would have been. 
there'd be people in the media would be saying all sorts of bad things about Shane Bieber right now. And nobody is because we know realistically he's pitching fine. He's got, you know, a great ERA. He's throwing strikes. He's hitting his spots. Um, like I said, he's scattering hits. He's not giving them up in bunches. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good. This is a really good game for Shane Bieber. Yeah. And, and like you said, thank God we don't focus on, on wins as a, as a stat really anymore. It, it's something that's noteworthy. Of course, uh, it's something to to pay attention to, but the the gone are the days that Cy Young awards are awarded based off of wins. Even though we did have that complete farce of a Cy Young that went to uh, Rick Porcello in Boston like <laughs> five years ago. <clears throat> yeah, I I agree. Um, I I think that those days have passed us by, and it, it's overall that's a really good thing for pitchers, mm-hmm. um, because you can get hung up on that, you know, and and that can affect your next time out if you you know be. If he leaves this game frustrated because he knows he's not going to walk away with a win and he carries that into the next game because he's, like, feeling all this outside pressure to get wins, then, you know, that that could lead to him having a bad outing next time. And, and thank God we don't have to deal with that anymore because he, he knows that he pitched well. Uh, his guys picked him up. We got the win. And you're right. You know, he knows he's due. He's going to start getting wins. Yeah, you know, his, uh, his next game is this weekend against Toronto. But, you know, more of that for a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, would you care to venture a guess at the attendance for Saturday's matinee uh, in Oakland? Oh, man, I know it wasn't good. Uh, I'm going to guess 3,500. Okay, well, it's more than that. Um, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's nearly double that, 6,707. Still not great. <laughs> no, that is the lowest amount of uh, people that attended the game in that series, and that's the lowest attendance the Guardians have played in front of all season. Uh, That's incredible. Yeah, I I know that when we look at home games and we see empty seats in progressive field, it can be disheartening, but uh, this definitely goes to show that things could be much, much worse. Yeah, I believe there is a, uh, yes, there is a Twitter account called Empty Seats Galore. Very fun, very fun follow. Another great, to, uh, yeah, baseball fans, that's another must-follow. I love that account. Yeah, and uh, one more, not not related, but baseball cathedrals, or mm. MLB cathedrals, great, great Twitter follow. I suggest following MLB cathedrals on Twitter. Talk now, about, see, I got, I got a new one. I don't follow that one yet. So I'm Talks gonna, about that all down. those old baseball parks from a long time ago, like Shy Park or League Park. Or, you so, know, the Palace of the Fans in Cincinnati, which only existed for a very short period of time. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. There's so many fascinating things about old stadiums and things. Um, another fun fact that I found out recently was that uh, for a year, I think it was like in the 40s, um, the Guardians actually had a, uh, a outfield fence that was movable. Mm-hmm. So based off of their matchups and what pitchers were coming in, if they were big hitting teams, they could actually adjust the outfield fences. <laughs> it was a fascinating way to get an edge, and uh, they only let us do it for one year before putting a kibosh on that. I mean, yeah, that's that's not surprising. Um, yeah, it's a, a little... baseball podcast without random facts like that thrown <laughs> every once in a while, though. It's a, it's a little less legal version of uh, if a team likes to run outside the, the lines a lot in football, not mowing the grass as, uh, yeah, as much yep. out there. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, any, any way you can get an edge, uh, yeah, they made movable fences no longer a thing very quickly because uh, – from what I understand, it, it seemed to have helped them pretty much, like pretty well that year. So, but anyhow, baseball cathedrals, follow them. 
Uh, that wasn't. That didn't happen to be 1948, was it? The year they last won a World it Series. It might be. Oh it Jesus. Might. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, Hold on. I got. I have to look this up now because it. Do, it, 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 do, it, do it do is a 19. 19- an asterisk next to our World Series in 48. That would be the worst. Oh my God. Uh, I need to really find this out now. We're going to. We're going to live discover. Uh, League okay, Park's okay. movable fences. I would probably use our dead name in your Google search. Uh, yes. I, I searched Cleveland so, Leak Park. Okay, yeah. Let's see. Here we go. Seven bizarre ballpark pe- features from baseball. Uh, Cleveland Municipal, Municipal Stadium. Oh, God. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It says this, when the team was bought in 47... Then he followed in 1948 with the movable fences. <laughs> oh, when they played in, in... Oh, no, no, no. It was outlawed by the time the 48 season rolled around. It was 1947 that they allowed the club to move the fences as much as 15 feet, depending on the opponent. Ah, so or he... anything else. They literally could put it wherever they wanted. Okay, so their first year out of League Park in Municipal Stadium, where they had Correct. probably more room to, to work with. Okay. Yes. Oh, so by Jesus. 1948, when we won the World Series, uh, that had been outlawed. Uh, God, if it, it would have been movable fences were part of the reason why they won the World Series. It's like there are a lot of things to blame curses on, uh, but movable fences would be would be one. <laughs> That's a curse that you do not want attached to your name because yeah. Oh, I was man. concerned for a minute. I knew it was in the 40s, and when you said that, I was like, oh shit! I hope it wasn't 48. All right, but anyways. Anywho, we digress. Yeah, okay. So we have uh, one more game in this series. It was a pretty comfortable 7-3 to win, of, although things got dicey in the ninth inning, but I really wasn't really worried about it at that moment in time. But big win. Uh, no, it, got, it did get dicey, though. You know, We could definitely talk about that towards the end because it, it was dicey. But, yeah, it was a good win. I didn't think we were ever really any doubt of losing the game. So Yeah, that's pretty much where I was trying to go with it. Like I, I didn't yeah. think that there was a chance that they were going to, to lose. It's not like uh, they had Chris no. Pure Rage Perez up there getting ready to mm. serve up a game-winning grand slam in Detroit. Right. Um, My main concern was that we were going to have to use multiple, multiple arms in the ninth in a game that we should have just – shut out easily you know mm-hmm. so that, but other than that yeah this was a fantastic game um consistency throughout from uh hitters in our lineup which is another good thing to see because um sometimes we see guys get hits their first at bats and then they strike out the next three uh but it seemed like guys were scattering their hits um everybody got a hit in this game outside of ernie clement uh and then mercado and his pitch hit uh he was a defensive well, replacement Oh, that's right. Defensive replacement. So, yeah, outside of those two, uh, everybody hit. So, Yeah, I mean, can't really can't really be mad about that from an offensive standpoint. Uh, they already have their best offensive catcher on the season, uh, Luke Maley. Everybody, please bow down to your best offensive catcher on the Cleveland Guardians. Yep, not exactly <laughs> a hard uh, plateau to reach. But, yeah, he has already shown that he's uh, going to be a better offensive option for us moving forward um the the most important most important part of this game to me uh was Fran Mil Reyes um finally getting a hit finally driving in a couple of runs mm-hmm. um he, he did have the three strikeouts on the day um but I feel like he 
he at least found something this game because he was really struggling. Yeah, you, he, you saw someone just constantly messing with his approach and nothing was coming from it, and that it just wasn't working. Maybe the day off, coming back the next day, he going one for five with the two-run single, mm-hmm. even though he struck out three times, is going to get him back on the right track because this Guardians team really needs him to be a, a consistent presence or, or at least prominent bat in the lineup even though they did drop him in the order a couple spots, but maybe that'll take a little bit less pressure off. Maybe he was feeling a little bit more pressure there because guys are on base a little bit more than they used to be in past years that, at the top of the a, order. That's a really good point. You know, it, it definitely affects your approach when you're going up there and guys are on base. Um, but yeah, you, you said it. We, we could see he was tweaking his approach from at bat to at bat and nothing was working. Um, so to finally see some, one of the adjustments pay off, Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked way more balanced in there. Um, on a couple of the strikeouts, he looked like Framil, but uh, on the on the hit and uh, the other at bat, I feel like he looked way more balanced and comfortable in the box. Um, so that was a good to see because I mean, I, let's be honest, if Framil was hitting, you know, 300 right now, we we might be, you know, 12, 12 and 10 instead of 10 and 12. I, that's a fair statement. I mean, that's just a, a two-game swing there, you know, two extra wins and two losses. Right, and at this point in the season, that might not sound like much, but, you know, if this young team puts some wins together, uh, that might matter towards the end of the season. Uh, you know, and considering some of, like, the uh, the games that they've played that have, that have been somewhat close, you know, mm-hmm. maybe him hitting 300 is the difference between losing one to nothing Kansas City in the second game of the season or five to four in the Bronx or Exactly. That's exactly I mean? where I was going with that. You know, if if one big hit, one big at bat by him in each of those games and you know, we're talking about an entirely different uh outlook right now. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it's uh interesting to see. We really need him to get out of this funk and hit because like his the beginning of the season for him has really been unacceptable for a player of his caliber, if you ask me. It, you're right, and I agree. And you can't hit 139. No, you can't. There's a there's a reason why certain players not on the team anymore who is hitting that. Uh, ball. Yes, but right, uh, we're we're almost there. One more tease. Almost there. One more tease I'm, before I'm, we I get there. I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I know a lot of our listeners can't wait either. Most of you have already figured it out, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll yeah, get there. but uh, Tristan McKenzie, he deserves some love for this because he had a fantastic bounce back performance after allowing four earned runs, including a homer against the Angels earlier in the week. He comes mm-hmm. back, allows four hits, walks one, strikes out seven and six and a third. The dude was fantastic. I feel like Tristan McKenzie is like a microcosm of this Guardian season so far. Like he's when he's hot, he is real hot, and when he's off, you know, he's kind of looked really shaky, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he had an absolutely fantastic outing. Um, his stuff was working. Um, it was great to see him get his first win on the season. Um, you know, especially with guys like Savali, you know, not being off to such a great start. Uh, we really need him uh, to to be a one of the anchors in that starting lineup. Yeah, yeah, and he's been he's been solid. You know, two seventy RA through uh, through four starts, five appearances mm-hmm. total for him this year. Uh, you know, I just think he's going to be a consistent kind of you know cog in the lineup or you know, the pitching rotation that they can just turn to uh, and be like, give us five innings and six seven strikeouts, allow two yeah, runs or less, call it good. Him and Maley looked real comfortable together. I don't I don't know how much that had to do with it, if any, 
but I, they worked really well. That's a battery that, that felt really natural, um, which did. was interesting to me because you never know. You never know when you're starting a catcher for the first time uh, for a guy like McKenzie who's young. You know, you never know how that can go. Um, so that was really good to see him, you know, get that outing uh, with him behind the plate. Yeah, it, very, very good to see, you know, very encouraging to see, you know, not just uh, from the, the pitching standpoint, but the but the catching standpoint, you know, what role is Luke Maley going to play? I mean, if he's hitting, you got to put him in the lineup. And if he's catching halfway decently, then you got to keep him there. You got to keep him there. You know, you, <laughs> you can't keep uh, putting in uh, Austin Hedges if he's going to keep struggling. If he's going to keep being a, a non-factor, I mean, sure, he's he's rebounded in the um, runs the stolen base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's rebounded in, in that aspect, but and on the other hand, he's been a complete non-factor at the plate. So at some point, if someone does something to be slightly better than him at both or just even one, uh, yeah, if it's offense, it's, if it's if it's, especially if it's offense, you just be like, all right, we're we're done here. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, catcher's the one position on the field where obviously defense is, you know, more important. Uh, you're not always looking for, uh, you're not looking for a guy to bat third in your lineup. That's a catcher usually, um, but you you like to see some production, you know. And and Austin Hedges, let's be honest, he's been somewhat of a black hole in this lineup uh, over the past couple years. You know, it's like we we know he's not going to do much. Is he good for like a clutch hit once in a while? Like, yeah. Is he a lovable guy? Yeah. Is he a great defender? Usually. Um, but like you said, he, he was struggling throwing guys out for a while. Um, you saw him struggle with his transition. Uh, the, uh, there was the stolen base attempt. I forget who it was, uh, but the ball just flew out of his hand in his transition. Um, and I, I don't know if that has something to do with the ball too, but, but yeah, like, if, if there's a significant improvement, in the offense, you can live with the defense being bad because I, I, he just wasn't doing enough defensively to justify batting under 200. Yeah, and right now he's batting 140. So uh, if, right. if, if Maley can give us even half of what he's currently batting, it's still going to be better than Austin Hedges. I mean, imagine if he gives us 230. You know, that's a big leap to go from one. 130 to 230, you know, that's a big leap in production for your offense. Yeah, by the way, uh, Maley is batting 286, so if you did cut his batting average in half, it would be three points better than Austin Hedges. Oh, God, poor Hedgie. Poor <laughs> Hedgie. Hey, shout out to Hedgie, though. He did have a big moment in this series. Yeah, he did. So, you know, I Hedges, is, Hedges is I likable. He's just frustrating. It's just frustrating to watch. <laughs> It's very frustrating to watch, especially for like a catching purist. Like I, I really am. Like there's a lot of stuff that drives me nuts about him, um, but I get it because he is a a good leader. He is a good locker room guy. Is he weird? Yeah, he's a, definitely a different cat. But like you love his energy. He, he's always bringing it. I've never seen him like not run out of ground ball or something like that. Like he gives it. He, he's a good. He's a good thing for the team chemistry, but, like, you got to do something at the plate. You know, because some guys that get by on that for their entire career that are the 225, 230 hitters, the reason they have long careers is because they are likable and they are good leaders like Hedgie. But, I mean, being that far under the Mendoza line, it's just it's not it's not justifiable for a major league catcher to keep going out there that's hitting like that. 
even if he gives something somewhat resembling what he did in 2017 with the Padres, that would just be such a, a massive step forward. He only hit 215, but he had 18 home runs and 17 doubles. I would even take his 14 homer and double campaign from 18. Yep, me too. <laughs> or 11 homer, 9 double campaign in 2019, where, I mean, his batting average was still terrible, 231 and 176 both those years, but he's at least hitting the ball for extra bases. Right. And he's not a guy that can play any other position, too. He's not He's not a guy that you can put at first base. He's not a guy you can put at right field. Like uh, some catchers, you know, you can use them in, in other circumstances and find a role on this team for him. But like for him, it's like if 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 he's not hitting and, and he's not lights out defensively, like uh, you just can't. It, it's it's gotten to the point now where Maley has to be the answer. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, uh, Austin Hedges has a total of three innings. At third base across two games in 2019. Oh, okay. Uh, zero balls were hit to him. Oh, my God, because he, he'd probably have about a <laughs> 0.25 fielding percentage at the hot corner. Yeah, no balls were hit to him over that, that three-inning span That three inning span over two games. But right. like, He's a guy that might want to look into, like, being a coach. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because I, I just don't see his major league career extending much further, like with the way that he's performed in the past couple seasons. Hey, you know what? Maybe he becomes just part-time catcher who catches one day a week. Yeah, I, I think I, that's he, perfect. He'd be great in that role. Once, twice a week, kind of just the the change of pace guy, or if he's if maybe he's someone's personal catcher. You know, yeah. like uh, you, Darvish had Victor Caratini. Yep. Um, you know, John Lester had David Ross. If he's someone. Someone's personal catcher. Yep, I, I agree. That's a that would be a good way for him to to find value in yeah. his role. But as a, um, a normal starting a, catcher, you can't do it anymore. <laughs> no, no, he's not an everyday starter. Um, he's a guy that you would love to have as a backup, but um, no, he he can't be in this rotation night in and night out. But m- maybe Luke Maley uh, makes a play for more playing time. <clears throat> and yeah, uh, hope, hope so. I mean, he's. So far, so good from Luke Maley, as far as I'm concerned. He hasn't done anything special, but um, he, he's been, like you said, he's batted twice as good as Hedgie in you know, the short time he's been out there. So, yeah, hopefully we continue to see more and more from him and he can grow into that starting role and Hedgie can take a little bit of a backseat here. Yeah, uh, play Maley until you can't play him anymore, then do the same with Hedges pretty much is the way I'd go about it. Yeah, same here. I mean, because, I mean... Hedges is going to be what Hedges is. Maley's, he's 31, so whatever you get out of him is whatever, <laughs> pretty right. much, looking at it from that perspective. Uh, maybe Lavasita comes back up. Maybe uh, somehow late in the year, Bo Naylor makes his debut. Um, yeah. You know, younger brother yeah. of uh, Josh Naylor. Which is awesome. Josh Naylor, awesome guy for this team, uh, who also had a really good series. He, he mm-hmm. had some clutch hits in this series as well. Good to see him, like, coming around, you know, making an impact right out of the gate, honestly. Yeah, absolutely, with with how gruesome that injury was for him. Uh, you just never know how a guy's going to bounce back from a situation like that, and the, the way he's just been an immediate lightning rod for this offense and really good defensively as well. Um, you know, it's just it's really surprising to see, but uh, for a guy with Josh Naylor's work ethic, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't be as surprised as I am. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, uh, the one big takeaway I, I have every time I watch him play, the dude's a ball of energy. Yes, he tr- he he tries very hard. Um, 
and he's really good at what he does. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you love having a player like him on a team. Yeah, he's he tries hard, but he's not a try hard. That's that's exactly. important. That's important. That's, it's a very important distinction. He is not a try hard, but man, does he try hard. I mean, I love me some Brandon Nemo, but I can tell you every time he gets walked and sprints to first base, it pisses everyone who's not a fan <laughs> of the Mets off. I'll tell you that right oh. now. It reminds me of like me in little league. Like uh, the first time my coach told me, "If you want to impress people, run down to first base." Oh God, how embarrassing! Oh, I I purposely slide and dive for no reason. Oh, all the time. Oh, just just be like, I just want to do it to have fun. Exactly. <laughs> but when you're in major league baseball and you're sprinting to first, like your job depends on it. It's like, <laughs> God, buddy. I, I oh. personally love it. I don't have a single problem. I love with it. it but I do too. It's embarrassing though. Like he's got to own it. I think it's. I think it's hilarious just because it gets under the skin of uh, you know some pitchers, uh, some first basemen, especially opposing teams' fans. Honestly, it's it's very entertaining to watch. Every single time Brandon Nemo gets walked and someone new that hasn't seen him do that yet, and he sprints down to first, like what the fuck's with this Nemo guy sprinting exactly. down to first? It, it's it, it's something that you can't really put a price tag on mind games in baseball. Like there are some guys that are really good at it mm-hmm. and, and he does it without even trying to play the mind games just by pissing people off running to first. It's just a natural um, movement for him. Yeah. It, it, you could tell it's totally natural for him and he's been doing it his whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not like he's faking or being inauthentic, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something pretty hilarious that he does. But, but like I said, nobody can really have a problem with it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have some more on the Mets in a little bit. But first, it's the moment you've all been waiting for. The Guardians have designated Logan Allen for assignment. I'm kidding. It's Bobby Bradley. Bobby Bradley is the one you've been waiting for. Double Bs. We've been waiting to hear that name DFA'd for a long time. Let's be honest here. This dude was, he was pretty much, he got his job taken from him. And that's what happens. Uh, you know, it, he got Wally pipped without having any of the talent. Um. Uh, yeah, he, he, <laughs> it was a situation where it, it went both ways. It was a product of him stinking for quite some time, mm-hmm. but also a product product of Owen Miller coming out and being just an absolute dog this year. Um, you know, so he, he did. He lost his job, but it, I felt like it was one out fair and square. And this is something that. The team has needed because, you know, along with Austin Hedges, he was becoming somewhat of a black hole in the lineup. Um, and he's not, let's be honest, he's not great defensively either. So it's it's another guy that's like, okay, if he's not doing it defensively, then, you know, you can't hit like he's hitting. So, And, and the way I look at it when it comes to Bradley, because, you know, I've been, I've been tracking him for some time now, just trying to, because everyone's like hyping up, oh, Bobby Bradley, when's Bradley coming? I'm like... I don't know when Bradley's coming. He's an intriguing prospect, but he strikes out a ton. Yeah. Like, he he struck out 170 times in, in high A ball in 2016. That's insane. That's really insane. And it, especially for a team like the Guardians, that's, you know, a hit-to-contact team, not a hit-for-power team. Like, mm-hmm. you can't have guys striking out that at that rate on a team like this. Like, maybe one. You know, if you've got one guy that can hit 35, 40 homers, like, sure, maybe he can strike out 180 times, but uh, no, like that, it just does not fit in with what we're trying to achieve as an offense. Um, and transversely, I think that Owen Miller fits very well uh, mm-hmm. in his role. He, he really does. I mean, 
because he's a guy that hits more for contact. He'll he'll put some in between, you know, kind of in the gaps every once in a while. He'll occasionally hit the home run. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you look at Bobby Bradley. Bobby Bradley did nothing. It, no. It, it's, it's just like, why is this guy in the lineup? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's the takeaway I got most of the time because I'm just watching this guy. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen much from him in a long time. I, I remember, like, his first time getting called up, he hit, like, a monster home run. And, and like the the exit velo was great, the launch angle was perfect, uh, and I think people just held on to that for way too long. It was like, when when are we gonna get that consistently? Um, and it just never it never came to pass with him. Um, but he's a guy that who knows, you know, maybe he gets traded away somewhere or, uh, and finds a new home and you know finds a role somewhere. But I don't think it's gonna be with this Guardians organization. Um, Anytime in the near future. I, I think a team that has nothing to lose will take a gamble on him just because yeah. of, of who he is. I mean, he did hit for a ton of home runs in the minors, but I mean, it is the minors. I mean, from f- 2015 to 2019, he hit 27, 29, 23, 27, 33 home runs. But the one concern is A, strikeouts, and B, the amount of time for me that he spent in AAA sends off a red flag for me because the top prospects don't spend a lot of time in AAA. If they can That's make really... the, the leap from AA to the pros, they do more often than not. If they get stuck in AAA for a minute, something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of that quadruple A uh, range that people talk about where you know you just don't find yourself being able to make that next leap. Um, yeah, so that is concerning anytime you have a guy who's who's seemingly making a career out of playing AAA baseball um, because the, the ultimate goal is to get those guys up to the show as soon as you can. And at, in today's game, like, uh, look at all the superstars in the league right now. They're all, you know, 26 and younger, um, with the exception of a couple, obviously. But it, mm-hmm. it's a lot of production from guys that have only been in the league one, two, three years. And, you know, the, the one red flag that I always keep coming back to is the 2020 season. And here's why. You looked at who they had on offense, who they had playing various positions and taking up at-bats, and mm-hmm. I did not hear Bobby Bradley's name mentioned once as a possible yeah. option at, for this team. Uh, to to play because uh, yeah. some of the guys that got at bats that year like Delino De Shields, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <clears throat> late career Domingo Santana, yeah, Mike Freeman, Greg Allen, Christian yeah. Arroyo, like. I see your point. The people that were going out, like the people getting called up in front of him, like not the best. All these other guys are playing. Greg Allen? Greg Allen's terrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although the Yankees thought he was the savior last year for about a month, and that was hilarious. I'm like, you're going to find out. You're not going to like what's going to happen. But No. Uh, the Lynn Sanity ended with him. Yeah. So, like, I, I look at who was playing and who was struggling, and I'm like, if these guys are playing this bad and they're not calling out Bobby Bradley, something's saying a lot to me because he spent mm-hmm. the entire year at the alternate training site in 2020. And you think for a team that was – they made the playoffs, playoffs, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, weird <laughs> right. playoff thing. So they made the postseason. Let's call it postseason, not playoffs because whatever because it was weird. Yeah. It was weird uh, and whatever it, they did going forward. It definitely was. You know, so – 
you would think they would want all of their best bats to get them in a good spot to to get them going in the right direction and a hundred percent yeah absolutely uh, and the guys that they were calling up like you said the people seeing at bats before him mm-hmm. it's like well what is it what is it about this guy that's keeping us from from bringing him up here and i think now that he's had to you know sort of become an everyday player out of necessity i think now we've kind of found out why mm-hmm. i mean jeez, just uh, looking at this lineup just like it's frustrating because it's just like yeah. you knew going in it wasn't going to be any good, but then you know you still watched it and it wasn't any good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's really, really frustrating, especially with a guy like him. So yeah, this this was something we've been talking about all season long. We knew it was coming, and uh, now that it's happened, um, hopefully we can get the production that we've seen out of Miller. You know, obviously not to this level. He's not going to maintain you know the numbers he's at right now. Obviously, yeah. he's going to level out a little bit, but. I mean, if he could be, you know, a solid, you know, 290 to 300 hitter for us, like that, that would be such a huge improvement. It, it would be. And, you know, it's, I wish him best of luck. I hope he figures out what to correct in his approach and what he's doing. Uh, Seems like a likable guy. I mean, I, I never had any problems with him. I never had any problem with him as a person. I just had him problem right, with right. being in the lineup because he was uh, just exactly. unproductive. And, yeah. Yeah. The, it, it's not a guy that we're rooting against by any means. It, uh, no, it's, it's I'm a not. Guy, yeah. It's a guy that we're just, you know, reluctantly we've had to put up with lackluster performances night in and night out from for a long time now. So <laughs> a lot of it is frustration. And, and part of the frustration comes from every single time there's a situation like this and, and someone's not playing or someone's given what's perceived to be a, a relatively short leash with a team and hasn't produced and if they do any sort of producing anywhere else everybody bitches about it like yep. uh, like jesus aguilar and yandy diaz yandy diaz when he got traded you, you thought they traded uh you know francisco lador at the time yeah <laughs> you know eddie rosario like guys like that like sure jesus aguilar had his moment in the sun in 2018 where he hit 35 home runs but the dude has hit like let's see 35 since 2018 so uh, yeah his best years have came and went like so we knew what what jesus aguilar is everyone was like oh yandy diaz just needs to play more like i'm not playing yandy diaz at the expense of jose ramirez sorry mm, never never uh, in a million years like he's just he's okay like he's yeah. all right like i'm not like getting upset that yandy diaz isn't getting you know, a, a season's worth of plate appearances. Right, but, right. Oh, geez, go back in time five years on Twitter and the complaints about Aguilar, then later Diaz. Uh, kind yeah. of funny in retrospect because, uh, did, in case anyone forgot, they, they got Aguilar, by getting rid of Aguilar, they got Edwin Encarnacion, by the way. Just <laughs> quick, quick history lesson for those who like to complain. Uh, yeah, I ever heard of him. Um, and he had a great, uh, great season. Yeah, he was a very productive hitter for two years with this team. Yeah, he, he was really productive here. Kind of like a revival for him in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy, I, I thought his best days were behind him, and he really overperformed my expectations. So, yeah, yeah like, what are you guys complaining about with that trade? Yeah, it's just it's it's people that don't want to give up the homegrown guys because they're going to be cheaper. Or, you know, they're here. It's, it's the stupid mentality of uh, the – 
the team's like uh, worked on him, developed him. He's homegrown. Also, I don't give a shit if he's homegrown if he came from somewhere else. If he's a no. good baseball player that helps give get my team wins and eventually gets me a World Series, I don't care where the hell he's from. Yeah, see, that's like it's like a poverty mindset to to think that way. Like, the, unless you can home grow your own players, you're never gonna win. And I think like because we're a smart smaller market team, like they think the only way we're ever gonna win a World Series is if we home grow like home grow all these players. And that's like that's not how the league works, you know. It's a, it's a combination combination of a lot of things. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's part of it too. Yeah, but anyways. Uh, they also uh, DFA'd Logan Allen. Logan Allen just was never gonna work here. Uh-uh. He just wasn't. Uh, he wasn't useful. Let me put it no. that way. I'm trying to be nice. Um, yeah, that's uh, about as nicely as you can put what he has been. A career uh, 5.8 ERA. Um, mm. That's Not with that. San Diego and Cleveland whip of 1.637. Striking out just 6.4 guys per nine, like... Not good enough. He, he got, uh, you know, 50 innings last year. He wasn't good. Uh, they mm-hmm. gave him six this year. He got worse, pretty yeah. much. It, it's, for guys like Allen, for guys like Bradley, it's... When you see a guy doesn't have it, don't waste your time anymore on him. Turn to somebody else. I agree. And, and and move along, because I, I agree. Both of these DFA's were long past due, to be honest with you. Yeah, way overdue, and, and it's not like these guys were like number one draft picks or anything. You know, it's like it, there's no reason to hang on to guys as long as as we have. And I think it's partly that you know that that poverty mindset that like ah, is this the best that we can get? Do we have a better option? Can we afford a better option? And it's like that's how you end up staying in these these losing situations year in and year out. And you look at teams like Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, and it's like you don't want to fall into that trap that those teams are in right now. Like, I, I just – you don't want to become that. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at Allen. He hasn't been someone that apparently has been really valued by previous organizations when they had the opportunity to get a more established uh, pitcher. Because mm-hmm. he was drafted by the Red Sox, but he was part of a trade that sent four players to uh, San Diego for Craig Kimbrell. Oh, then boy. he was part of another trade, the three-team trade between Cleveland, Cincinnati, and uh, San Diego, which brought uh, Framiel Reyes and Josh. Josh Naylor didn't come in this one. Uh, Framiel Reyes and uh, Yasiel Puig and Scott Moss. Right. To Old Scott <clears throat> Moss. Where's Yasiel Puig at these days? Uh, I want to say Japan or Korea. He's in one of the two. I knew he was playing somewhere. He is an interesting cat. Let's see. I I will. He is in the KBO, so Korea. There was a. He had a moment in Major League Baseball where, like, he looked like he was going to be something special. He honestly played absolute cannon for an arm. He played probably about five years too early. That's that might be it. That really might be it. Because you, you look at guys like Tatis and Tim Anderson, and mm-hmm. you know all these guys doing massive pimp jobs on home runs and having personality and showing personality. And the dude was eviscerated for it when he played he for the was. Dodgers and when he, he played was. in Cincinnati. Even here, 
he he would fit into this this modern era of MLB so good, like so good. It, it, but yeah, like he was a guy that like some of the plays that he would make from the outfield, he had an absolute hose. And then he, he'd go up to bat and hit moonshots too. And like he had so much personality and flair, but, but it, he was just painted in such a negative light, like his entire career. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that he's still playing somewhere. I hope he's having fun over there. I always really liked him. Yeah, and, and part of the reason that he's not uh, playing currently is he does have some off-the-field issues involving allegations of some less than stellar okay. choices. That I did not know. Okay, so let's let's let start resend, with. Let me resend my previous statement. So, uh, on the field, he's 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 an electric player. Okay, on yeah. the field, he does have some allegations that apparently were settled out of court. I gotcha. Yeah, I was okay. referring to uh, as a, uh, on the field player, his personality and flair during the game. I yes. was always a fan of that, but yes. no, not a fan of Yasiel Puig off the field. No, uh, he did sign with the Braves in 2020, but he tested positive for COVID, and then it uh, pretty much they were like, "All right, we're done. We're not going to sign this deal." So uh, may- maybe he comes back to Major League Baseball. He's been out for a couple years now, but you know, you never know. You really you never know with guys like 47-year-old Jason Kendall trying to make a comeback right now. <laughs> I mean, what in the world is happening? You got uh, Terrell Owens is catching touchdowns in the fan-controlled football league. Jason Kendall wants to come back and hit bombs for the Pittsburgh Pirates. What the fuck is going on? I mean, uh, how long until uh, Julio Franco says he wants to come back again? This <laughs> uh, town would welcome him back, too. Uh, he's 63. Uh <laughs> God, he played until he was so old. Oh, man. Uh, he's per- currently the hitting coach in, in the Mexican League. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> he was he was a car- uh, part of the coaching staff for four years uh, out in the KBO from Shout 2016 out. to 2020. That's what's up. But anyways, <clears throat> let's talk about some, uh, some notable events, kind of history. And what sure. is history? Let's put it that way. The Mets combined for a no-hitter. Yeah, is, and to my understanding, was this the second no-hitter in the organization's history? Yes. Or did first, I hear that wrong? That was the second one. The first one was Johan Santana, and then his career fell off a cliff after that. He gave his arm for the Mets to have a no-hitter. <laughs> uh, essentially, yeah. That, that's another guy that, man, at the peak of his powers, he was special. That dude was a nightmare when he was on the yeah, Twins. He really was. It just video game stuff. But they combined uh, Tyler McGill, Drew Smith, uh, let's see, Joely Rodriguez, Seth Lugo, and Edwin Diaz. Ed not Ed, Ed Lou's Diaz. Sorry, Frank the Tank. Edwin Diaz combined nine innings, six walks, 12 strikeouts as a team, needed 159 pitches. But they went three to nothing. Combined no hitter, very impressive stuff. Very impressive stuff. Um, yeah, you know what the book is on the Mets with their starters. You know with Degrom and Scherzer. But like to to have a bullpen like complete performance like that for that team, I thought it was like it more special than if it would have been, you know, Degrom getting a no hitter. I, mm-hmm. I think the fact that they. They pieced it all together from their starters to, you know, through the middle relievers and then, you know, into a closing situation. Uh, it just made it that much more impressive to me. 
It, it is very impressive. You know, McGill's been very, very spectacular to start this year. So, you know, him see him to go five innings and, you know, be as impressive as he was, not necessarily all that surprising. Uh, Drew Smith's also been a solid arm out of the bullpen mm. for the Mets. But Rodriguez and Lugo have not been good at all. They have been, no. they have been the probably two top consistent complaint receivers of Mets fans on Twitter and people that talk about the Mets is Rodriguez and Lugo. They just have not been good enough. And what do you know? They combined for 22 pitches. Uh, 10 of them were strikes, but they got two two walks, no strikeouts, but they did not allow a hit. Yeah, not good. And for a team that, like, everything else seemingly is going right, you know, like the, <laughs> it, the spotlight really is on those two guys. Um, because outside of them, you know, the, the team is playing really, really well right now. Yeah, and Edwin Diaz comes on for the, the save in the ninth because it was a save situation. He strikes out strikes out the side on 13 yeah. pitches. Huge, the, huge to come in and shut the door like he did. Um, I mean, closer's one of those those roles where it's like, you know, a, a, a couple bad outings can derail your whole season. And for them to have that going like they did and him to come in and just slam the door shut with uh, to strike out the side, like what an exclamation point on an already dominant night on the mound for that team. And, and the Phillies are a very, very potent offensive team. You know? Yes, th- this isn't, you know, the Cincinnati Reds. This isn't the Pittsburgh Pirates. Like, the, this is a team that, that has bats in the lineup that can do a lot, a lot of damage. I mean, and, you know, the reigning NL MVP in mm-hmm. the lineup. And then they, you know, added Castellanos and Schwarber to the to the mix. Yeah, yeah. so Schwarber's hitting home runs off of one knee and doing all kinds of silly shit right now. Yeah, the the Phillies are tied for fifth with 25 home runs. Uh, they're third in runs driven in with 101. Mm. Uh, they are fifth in total bases with 305. Yeah, so this is a this is a very potent lineup. Um, and OPS, they are they are sixth at 7.24 OPS. Yeah, the the more you look at this box score and you look at the two teams and where they stand so far in this season, uh, it just gets better and better. You know, I mean, it's what more can you say? Um, but yeah, Ed, Edwin Diaz, man, I. I I, for some reason, I just felt like he was going to come in and the doors were just going to fly off of the whole thing. But now he proved me wrong. So Can you imagine the Frank the Tank meltdown? Oh, if, God. NJ if, Tank if, would be if that losing, it, losing it, it. He'd be biting his hat and his shirt and anything he could find around him because it's just <laughs> what he does. That, are, are you starting to feel a little bit with, that way when Class A goes in and saves situations? I'm not is, quite is at the point of quite... biting things, but... It's it's nerve wracking. I'll put it that way. He just seemingly has to make it interesting. Like it, even the ones where like he, he doesn't give up a run and like he always seems to give up that one big hit or a guy gets on with no outs or it, I don't know. He's always making it difficult on himself. I feel like he reminds me a lot of Detroit Tigers Jose Valverde. Is what oh, he reminds me of. That's a good comparison. Because. When he's locked down stuff, he's got his stuff going, you're done. You're not touching him. Yep. But if he's off, he gives up big bombs way too much. Yeah. He just kind of unravels quickly. That's the thing about, like, pitchers that are, like, velocity guys like him. Like, if your stuff's not moving at all, if you're throwing, like, just straight darts and you're not getting that little bit of movement you get under two-seamer, like that can make all the difference, and he does get tattooed when his stuff is, you know, not working right. So, yeah, it's uh, 
it's good to see that he's gotten a, a few really clutch saves on the year um, because it, it hasn't been pretty. I'll put it that way. It, it hasn't, but, you know, uh, nice little shout-out for Papa Grande uh, on the podcast. <laughs> Did not expect that to happen today, but that's where yeah. we are. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> uh, we also do have some other Mets news. Kind of sliding this in on you, but Robinson Cano, DFA'd by the Mets. Oh, my God. How much is he getting paid this year? Oh, my God. He is getting paid a stupid amount of money. Hold on. <clears throat> yeah, I need to know this. Let this me... might be one of the most expensive DFAs of all time. Okay, he has two years left on his deal. <clears throat> $24 million base salary for this year. Jesus Christ. And next year as well. $24 million over the next two seasons, and right now he is in the minor leagues. Uh, and th- that's if some someone doesn't pick him up. But yeah. no, uh, no um, he could go to the minors. Uh, I don't think he's going to. No. Uh, he's going to sign elsewhere for some nothing deal. Uh, oh, God, I can't believe he's going to sign with, uh, with the Yankees to go have a retirement tour in the Bronx as they're uh, bat off the bench. You already know that's probably what's going to happen, too. He's going he's gonna to go there. It's going to be like back to where it all started. And that's going to be, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> the, the Yankees always seem to take a flyer on a guy late in his career like that. Especially if he's a former Yankee. They'll, they'll, like, yeah. they'll, they'll bring him back. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the Guardians did that for a while, too. You know, with bringing back guys like Tommy. And like it, it seemed like they always tried to bring guys back for the end of their career. And, I don't know. It just doesn't usually work out. Well. Uh, you know, Kenny Lofton, Coco Crisp, there's a couple other guys. Yeah, the list goes on. But, yeah, uh, the the New York Mets, Robinson Cano era, not good. Uh, he had the worst stretch of his career with the Mets, but those are the three oldest years of his career. Uh, mm-hmm. 269 batting average, 765 OPS over that span. Just 24 home runs in 168 games. Yeah, not good. Uh, I mean, he did miss all of 2021 due to a PED suspension. Which didn't help his cause by any means. No, he, he, for some somehow he was actually productive in 2020. Uh, 316 average, 896 OPS, 10 bombs, 30 RBI in that season. But from a, I guess, you know, from the cloud's perspective, looking at the Mets, it allows them to turn the page on this era, play their younger guys, play their guys that are that should be playing. Like, yeah, there's no reason for Robinson Cano to be taking away bats from guys like, uh, <clears throat> like a Dom Smith or mm-hmm. Eduardo Escobar or, you know, any of their outfielders that should be their DH for that day. Yeah. It's, it's their time, you know, like if he's, if he's not going to be a productive player for you, like you can't keep those guys down. Like it, it's their time. Um, and I think that, Closing the book on it, turning the chapter, whatever, you, however you want to phrase it, is a good way to look at it for the Mets. I, I feel like this is like, it, it gives them some closure and, and something to build off of moving forward in a weird way. Yeah, just whatever you do, don't call it uh, the end of an era because uh, I saw someone call that and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Robinson yeah. Cano was terrible and got busted for steroids. <laughs> like, yeah, the end of an era. Of get the hell out of here. <laughs> It's more of the. It's the end of an extended stay. It's it, the only era that ended with that is the any stink of the Wilpons left on the Mets. That's that's oh, the only yeah. era that like look at that dumbass move that they made. 
Yeah, one of the all-time worst. <laughs> Terrible trade. They got Edwin Diaz, but they had to they had to give up Jared Kelnick and take on Robinson Cano. Yeah. Yikes. And we've seen how that has worked out now. Yeah. So uh, Edwin Diaz can be good. Jared Kelnick has struggled so far, but <laughs> uh, Robinson Cano was not a popular uh, acquisition from the jump. Let's be yeah. Let's put it that way. Something that just never really worked out. It was it was an idea that that came and it went and it never really worked out for the Mets. So we'll see how that uh, all unfolds. But he'll probably sign with the Yankees. I, I wouldn't doubt it. I'd be surprised if we don't hear that shortly. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Guardians. They're coming home for a quick two game series with the Padres before playing host to the Blue Jays. But Padres. Let's talk about them. Uh, my guy, we get to see my guy tomorrow. I, I miss Clevenger. I really do. Clevenger is a uh, is quite quite the effective pitcher. He's a very good pitcher. Yes, uh, when he's very on. good, very very good. And when he's on, his stuff is awesome. Um, another great locker room guy. Um, don't think he has the off the field issues of a guy like a Yasiel Puig. So I feel safe and comfortable of saying I love Mike Clevenger. Uh, he does not have the off the field uh, issues that Mike Cle- that uh, not Mike Clevenger that Yasiel Puig has. There yes. are, I'll say, rumors and allegations, but nothing past that. Right. So at this point in time, safe to say I'm still a Mike Clevenger fan. I mean, he's he's still a very good, still very good pitcher. At least last time we saw him, but it's been a minute since we've seen him. Yeah, um, it has been a minute. And if I'm not mistaken, this is his first outing on the year, correct? This will be his first outing on the year. This will be his first outing, I, I think, since Cleveland traded him. Um, I don't really? Think... I didn't realize that he hasn't. Well, let me let me take a look. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, he appeared in let's see, two uh, four games in 2020. My. Uh, I stay corrected. Four games in twenty twenty. Okay, hasn't pitched. He hasn't pitched since twenty twenty. Yeah, so this is going to be a really interesting start um, from that perspective, and uh, especially when it's going against a former team. Um, and it, you know, Plesac's been he's been okay. He's been good. You know, three point eight ERA. He's got he's only one and two on the year, but he's been good. He's the guy that like. How many times did we say that uh, they put us in a position to win? Like, he's been that guy this year. He's he's done a really good job of putting this team in a position to win uh, in each of his starts. So, uh, with all the question marks surrounding Clevenger, um, I, I think that there's reason to be optimistic that maybe we can keep this streak rolling. Yeah, you know, uh, Clevenger's, you don't know how deep he's going to go. I can't imagine he goes very deep in this game. Uh, he, he's only pitched 41 and two-thirds innings in the past two seasons so he's not going past 80 pitches there's no chance in hell like he'll, he'll pitch maybe a few innings you know considering his injuries that he's had he had the injury to the terrace major muscle in 2020 mm-hmm. uh which limited uh, that happened early on in the year so he was able to get that all corrected and stuff so he played as much as he possibly could for cleveland in the 60 game season before he get mm-hmm. traded but then he ended up getting tommy john so it's he's got a very I don't want to say violent delivery, but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in his delivery. Yeah, violence not a bad word for it. it. It is. There's a lot of a lot of moving pieces and parts in his delivery. It's not it's not the the smooth like silky delivery that that you love to see from guys, but uh, it's a delivery that guys struggle with at the plate, and that's you know what's important. But 
Um, you you worry about a guy like him that does have a little bit more herky-jerky, violent of a delivery um, because coming off an injury, you know, obviously that makes things more difficult on yourself than if you're, you know, a guy that's perfect mechanically. Um, so I'll be interested to see if he's made any mechanical adjustments uh, during his rehabilitation and if his delivery looks the same as it did um, because, you know, they're, they're, we could see a couple different things from him. Yeah, and you know, it, this is this is another major surgery he's had. He had elbow reconstruction surgery when he was with the Angels back mm -hmm. in uh back in 2013. And then it's just it seems like he's got just some really bad luck. Yeah, it to does be honest feel that with way. you. Cuz I mean at least he's shown he can come back from an injury. He has shown, like, because he's he's had some major injuries before, and he's mm. he's come back. He's he's been able to work his way back, but like, I I think what ultimately it comes down to is how effective can he really be after like the third major injury he's had in his career up to this point. He's only appeared in a hundred and five games in his career dating back to 2016 is when he made his debut. Yeah. Not all that many for a six year span. <clears throat> and, and, you know, again, one of them was the 2020 season, but he also missed all of 2021, mm -hmm. but like, that's not a lot. And it's, it's only been eight games <laughs> since 2020 that he's pitched total. Yeah. I think the most <clears throat> important thing that the, that the Padres are going to be looking for from Clevenger is just health. Stay healthy, you know, like the, the best ability for him is availability. Like it, when the story of your career becomes that you play less games and, you know, than you actually start, it's like you want to see that, that change. So hopefully, like if from a Padre standpoint, I think all that they're looking for from him is can he go out and give you a few quality innings? Um, what's he look like? Does he look comfortable? Is there something that needs to work on? Um but, yeah, a lot of question marks surrounding this start. So uh, I, I'm really intrigued to see how this game goes. Yeah, and this is, uh, <clears throat> if I remember correctly, he had, aha, I remember this because he missed time in 20, uh, 2019 as well. He had, um, what is it? Let's see. He had a, a torn meniscus in 2020. This poor guy. Jesus. Uh or the, that might have been the end of 2019. I'm I'm trying to, mm. to load this stuff up here. L lots of let me just pull up Mike Clevenger injury history that exists for football. I wonder if it exists for uh, it's got to exist for for, 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 for baseball. Yeah. And the Padres Padres 15 and eight on the year. Also a really good road team. They are nine and four on the road. Um, so they do play well on the road. So team that plays well on the road, um, hopefully that, you know, well, hopefully not, but hopefully for them that that stands to benefit for Mike Clevenger. Yeah, let's see. Okay, he had an ankle injury in the middle of uh, 2019. He had a back injury in 2019 as well. That's what did it. It was a back injury in 2019 and an ankle injury. Yeah, geez. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, so uh, like I said, then, you know, might be even more likely now that we see a little bit different a delivery from Clevenger. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they work on some things with him because uh, when you're a pitcher and you're, you're consistently getting injured like that, you have to question your mechanics and your delivery and if it's sustainable. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like uh, tomorrow. We really have no clue. 
Yeah, he, he's he's been a guy that's always had a pretty big uh, leg kick. It mm-hmm. kind of like goes from right to left when he's facing away from you. Yes, you a know. lot of horizontal movement in his delivery. Yes, and so it'll be interesting to see you know how he adjusts. I mean, and and you know where he is. I guess from a velocity standpoint, considering his uh, his injuries. I mean, he he is on the other side of thirty. He's thirty one. So yeah, he's he's played five years, but he's he's it's been a long five years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is a really important first game back for him. Um, you know, I, I, I'm hoping for our sake that he doesn't have it. But um, like I said, he's a guy that he did a lot of things really, really well for this team. And, and uh, a guy that was an anchor in that starting lineup. And, you know, a, a guy that you always kind of want to root for. But when he comes to town, he's just another nameless gray face. And I hope that we pound his dick in the dirt. <laughs> Uh, all right, and with that, let's move on to game two. It's Cal Quantrill versus Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore is 2-0 in his career. He has a 1.76 ERA. He appears to have uh, put together all of the things that were causes for concern for, with Mackenzie yeah. Gore coming up. He, he's he's looked good. Yeah, he's looked really good. Um, just the 12 hits, 20 strikeouts. I mean... Really good numbers for him. Uh, another thing, he's only gave up the one bomb too. Um, so for a young guy, that's that's a number that you like to see. You know, staying really low. You don't want to be giving up these big, you know, shots. But uh, on the other side of things, Cal Quantrill been really good for the Guardians so far this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a three-two-seven ERA. Uh, he does have the one victory for us, and in 22 innings of work, he has uh, 16 hits and 10 Ks. Uh, he does have the 10 walks, though. That's a number you'd like to see go down. Yeah, looking at uh, uh, matchups of note in the Padres, uh, there are two. Matt Beattie is 3 for 6 with 2 RBI. And Joe Musgrove, who will not be batting, is 0 for 2. Mm, so not much. They haven't not, seen. Not much. And, of course, nobody in Cleveland has seen Gore at the Major League level. Uh, no one's going to be weird as the day that the pitchers stop appearing on the bat versus pitch page on ESPN because uh-huh. there's been just there's there's enough guys still there that it's going to be there, but there's going to uh-huh. come a day when there's just going to be like one guy who made his debut in 2021 <laughs> who is a pitcher in the National League who's going to have yeah. some at bats against some other pitchers that are just going to yeah. keep being there for a while. Uh, <clears throat> it's it's funny to see this transition into. Uh... No more pitching, uh, no more pitchers in the nine spot in the National League. It's uh, going to be interesting to see how things change. Definitely going to be interesting. Definitely, definitely. Uh, as far as winnable games go, I think both are winnable. Um, Super winnable, yeah. I mean, you got a guy coming off an injury, and then you've got a really young guy. So, And also a lot of question marks, like you said, that, Neither one of these teams has seen the other, so these are both very, very winnable games, I would say. And I, I think that's very, uh, very important for them to you know continue their win streak. Maybe they, maybe they run it to five in a row. That'd be nice. That'd be uh, really nice. I, I think the key thing to avoid is uh, <clears throat> going back into the losing streak. Absolutely, column, because. Uh, and- that's been the story of our season. It's it's streaky, 
Uh, we started the year with two losses, and then we had uh, four wins, and then we had three losses, and then we had three wins, and then we had seven losses, and now we're at three wins. So, yeah, you'd like to see that winning streak get larger <laughs> and those losing streaks uh, stop. Yeah, I mean, we haven't just lost one game and came back and, and won, which you would like to see eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, win- the winning streak's great. Obviously, when we're winning, everybody's happy. Keep on doing that. But, yeah, uh, the next time we do get a loss, if we could keep it from turning into a streak and, and bounce back and win, I think that could go a long way for the Guardians. It definitely would be. You know, getting on a, a somewhat regular, uh, as, as awful as win-loss, win-losses can be at a time because you like win in a couple in a row. Breaking, right. the, breaking the win streak, lose streak pattern would be just a nice breath of fresh air, to be honest with you. Yeah, I agree. Um you never want the story of your team to be that they're they're really streaky and that when they're off they're really bad. Um, but let's be honest, that that seven game losing streak, like the bats were really bad. Like we did not look very good. Um, so yeah, you wanted to see a young team be able to bounce back from a loss instead of it mm-hmm. carrying over into the next game and then turning into you know four, five, six losses in a row. Yeah, I think, you know, at one point, you know, Stephen Kwan missing a couple games. Same with Owen Miller, also missing a couple games as well during that span did not help matters. Uh, Framio Reyes being as ice cold as he's been has also not helped matters. But, you know, maybe with these guys being more regulars in the lineup moving forward, uh, the streakiness comes to an end of a little bit, you know, for, for better and for worse. Yeah, consistency is something that you would hope to see moving forward. Um, young team, youngest team in the majors. So uh, this streakiness, you, you know, we said it early on in the season that this is probably going to be what you get from this team. Um, it, it's the story of a lot of young teams. You know, it's uh, streakiness and inconsistency. Um, you know, that's sort of to be expected right now. So hopefully it just gets better and better uh, as we hope to, you know, make this a productive season. It, yeah, that'd be, uh, you know, just a nice, nice solid just – way to to move forward honestly yeah palate cleanser there we go palate cleanser yeah all right as we uh have begun the new tradition of any each podcast with some trivia yeah would you like to go first or would you like me to go first you go ahead and go first okay i got a good one for you okay on sunday in the diamondback st louis cardinals game darton varsho Etcher for the Diamondbacks was walked. Then he proceeded to get thrown out stealing second. Okay. He is Mm -hmm. the first catcher to get caught stealing second for the first out of a game, or stealing, caught stealing for the first out of a game since who in 2003? Ooh. Okay. I'm going to throw a name out there. All right. I'm ready. Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz. No. Am I thinking the... No, not Edwin Diaz. Okay. How about... <laughs> Jason Kendall. You are correct, sir. It is Jason ah, Kendall. It is Jason Kendall. Oh, that's so it's funny. It's Jason I'm Kendall. Just... June 25th, 2003. Jason Kendall was the first out of the game after attempting to steal a base. Dalton Varshow is the first to do it in almost 19 years. That's incredible. That's a really fun trivia question. I liked that a lot. 
Because um, it's yeah. it's weird because it has to be a catcher that gets on base right. first. It, unless right. you have a pinch runner who's going in for an injured player who happens to be your catcher. Right. And I had to double-check because Dalton Varsho also plays outfield, so I want to make sure he started this game as the catcher because it could have been uh-huh. one of those weird instances where he was in center field for some reason. But he was the catcher this game. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really fun one. Yeah, I saw that come across uh, my Twitter timeline from uh, MLB Random Stats. If you love Random Stats, go follow him. Yeah, I'm trying to think of... I got Diaz's name wrong. He was a catcher for the Guardians in, two th- in like the early 2000s. We had a Diaz. Who the hell was our catcher? I said Edwin Diaz because it was a Freudian slip, and we were talking about him earlier in the game, <laughs> the closer for the Mets. Uh, I forgot his fucking name. We had a Diaz that played for... Yes, uh, Aner Diaz. A- that's it. Aner Diaz. Aner Diaz. Okay. Yeah, that's who I was thinking of. Just so nobody thinks I'm fucking crazy. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, I thought. I, I was thinking maybe you would come with the Guardians trivia question, so I just went with a random obscure catcher from that era. Um, let's see. Which one of these do I want to throw at you? I had, like, a bunch of them the other day, and I was going to save one. Let's see. Oh, let's make it something easy. Here we go. Do you know who the triples leader is in MLB history? All-time leader for triples in a career. Ooh. Last time I gave you a really obscure one, so this time I'm going to give you a little more straightforward one. Okay. Leader in triples. My instinct is to take one of those guys that played like a hundred years ago, uh, mm-hmm. because that's uh, a good that's a good instinct. You're on the right path. Uh, only only because they played in those ridiculous ballparks that had stupid dimensions, like the polo grounds or yeah. Uh, this is actually this is actually a name that that I don't think anybody on earth would know. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give you this name. One of the top three. One of the They're top awesome. three. One of the top three, because the other two of the top three are names that everybody knows. So, with that in mind, who would the triples leader have been? Uh, So the leader is not one of the obvious names. The leader is Sam Crawford with 309 triples. I've never heard of Sam Crawford, have you? Uh, Not to my knowledge, unless he's got some stupid nickname that uh, I'm not familiar with. He might. Like uh, uh, I, old I, can I, hands Crawford or something. or uh, <laughs> Right, right. But Barrel smasher two, Crawford. <laughs> yeah, the other two are very gettable names, though. Uh, Ty Cobb. Bingo. That Ty was Cobb the, is in second place with 297 triples. That was my first instinct was Ty Cobb. Yeah, I, it, I thought that Ty Cobb was the triples leader off the top of my head. And then when I was Googling it to verify... I found out that it was somebody named Sam Crawford. So uh, um, who's third? Is it going to be somebody like Ricky Henderson or Pete Rose? or? Uh, let's see. Think Darren Ravel. Darren. That's your hint. My hint is Darren Ravel. Ugh. His, uh, his Twitter account. What does he talk about a lot? The collectibles market. Oh, collectibles right? market. Yeah, he, he isn't he the guy? Isn't he the guy that always posts like random collectibles, like auctions? 
Yeah, and he he's the one who who's really carried the torch for Bobby Bonilla Day on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. but um, you mentioned the other day, like this guy is always bringing up like weird stuff like that. It, he is. Darren um, Ravel is doing that all the time. Yeah. Um, so just think uh, a rare baseball collectible. Think baseball cards. Think baseball card. Onus Wagner. There you go. All right. The, the Citizen Kane of baseball cards is Honus Wagner. Everybody knows it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner round out the top three. Um, but, yeah, nobody particularly close to Sam Crawford and Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb had 297 in his career. Honus Wagner had 252. So that's a gap of 45 triples. Yeah, uh, and for reference, everybody, uh, Sam Crawford began his a- career at the age of 19 in 1899. His career ended in 1917 with the Detroit Tigers. Yeah, so anyone who said that I was being too easy on you for for giving you number one can eat a dick Uh, uh, because that's Uh, a fucking tough one. uh, Yeah, so uh, Sam Crawford died in 1968, you know, a good solid 20 years before I was born. So, um... Jeez Louise, good lord. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, other than that, I mean... Obviously, ballparks were a lot, a lot, a lot bigger back in the day, and that's why most of the triples leaders are from before any of our time. Um, but I would say for recent players, like current generation, let's see who the top would have been for like current generation. Well, I, I pulled up the triples leaders, and all the pictures are in black and white except for uh, except for Stan Musial. There you go. That's <laughs> that's 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 the, the closest first. one. Yeah, and that's, I mean, still, he. I think his last year was 63, 62, something like that. It was so. a long time ago that he played. Uh, Stan yeah. Musial last played in 1963. Oh. Here's another fun one. Coming in at number 54, Wally Pitt. Oh, there we go. Oh, uh, let's see. Roberto Clemente might be the uh, the nearest one on the list at 27. There you go, yeah, number 27 with 166 triples, I mean, Roberto Clemente. I mean, shit. Right you're behind looking, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Uh, yeah, you're looking at a whole bunch of guys uh, that they all played so long ago. Yeah. Like, he's sandwiched, he's, like, uh, Roberto Clemente is just ahead of Lou Gehrig and Nap away, okay? Yes. It, this stat, it, like, triple's such a funny stat, you know, like, you the only reason that a cycle is all that rare is because of the triple. You know, yeah. it's it's such a hard thing to do. Uh, you really got to put it in the right place. It depends on a lot of bounces going your way. But yeah, back in the early days, man. I mean, the the parks were so enormous. That, you know, I'll, there was a lot of in the park home runs, a lot of triples. But, um, I, I think yeah, I found so. our first modern-ish day player, if you want to call him modern day, or if you want to make it uh, during the time that we've watched baseball. Uh, Jose Reyes, 78th overall with 131. Okay, Jose Reyes, that's a good one. Uh, Here's another good one that most of our listeners would know. Johnny Damon at 128. Uh, He has 109 career triples. So that's another another somewhat recent. Uh, But yeah, outside of those guys, like... Like, I got shit. Jimmy, Jimmy Rollins Jimmy Rollins at 110. <laughs> Kenny Lofton's in there in the hundreds. Um, but yeah, all of the leaders are 1880s to like the 1920s. I mean, shit. Johnny Damon's tied with a guy named Chicken Wolf. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, 149th overall is Home Run Baker. Holy shit. Home Run Baker. Uh, like, 
when you Old. when you got guys with these names, you're not like you're not looking at any time uh, relatively recent. Okay. No, no, but there's some really great baseball names. Uh, <laughs> Chicken Wolf. Chicken Wolf. That sounds like it sounds like my six year old nephew just like doing a mad gab or something and just throwing animals he's heard of in it. Yeah. Oh, uh, coming in 95th, Carl Crawford with 123. Hey, there we go. Another Crawford there. Another another uh, new-ish player, you know. To... Him and, yeah, Reyes, Crawford, that that type of player in there in the recent era. Um, you, yeah. you can watch them play and it's in color. <laughs> That's the yeah. That's something you can't say about most of the people on this list. Uh, but yeah, the triple very elusive stat. So I thought that that would be a fun one to do. Um, but yeah, Ty Cobb and Honus Wagner number two and number three. But old Sam Crawford is the oh, and his nickname. Get this, Wahoo Sam. Oh, Wahoo Sam. Okay. But he played for the Detroit Tigers, so it is not uh, any connection to uh, Cleveland. Uh, okay, this is really bad podcasting for a second, but go up and click on Jake Beckley and check out this ultimate 1880s-looking baseball player. Oh my, he's got the Pittsburgh. He's got like the tie underneath it, uh, a nice cap on, a, a nice tight mustache, uh, really nice chin, strong chin for somebody in the late 1800s. I don't know what the fuck that means, but <laughs> he had 22 triples in 1890. <laughs> Oh, awesome. God, baseball is so old. It is so old. I can't believe they've been playing baseball since like the 1840s. It's crazy, really. You know? It really is crazy. <laughs> but uh, with that, ending on the fantastic mustache of Jake Beckley, uh, I encourage you to Google that and check it out. Um, yeah, go to Wikipedia and just search for uh, Major League Baseball triples leaders. And you will find a bunch of really cool old-timey photos of guys that look like cartoon characters. Listen, if you want to find out the real stats of Mr. Burns' initial ringer team from the softball episode, that's a good place to start because most of the guys on that team are on that list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of them are on that list for sure. (laughs) You know, Onus Wagner, Cap Anson, both on the list, both on his ringer team. But uh, you're not going to find Mordecai Three-Finger Brown on that. You're going to have to go to pitching numbers for that one. Yeah, not old pie trainer, uh, <laughs> guys like guys like Kiki Coiler. You know the the list goes on. Arky Vaughn. Yeah, all of those and guys he- on that list. But quick reminder: uh, uh, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podchaser, TuneIn, and thisisbelievable.com. dot com. Like, comment, share, subscribe, rate five stars. Tell your friends and family. If you don't, it's stealing. Yes, and important to note, uh, our next podcast will come a lot sooner than the gap between our most recent ones. Yep, it will be a lot sooner. It will be within a couple days of each other, not the almost week. So yeah, so keep a couple, you know, keep an eye out. A couple days from now, we'll be dropping the next one, uh, summarizing the Padres series. So hopefully, we get two more wins and we continue this streak and uh, more positivity to come. Yep. Uh, Hope for a split. Really would love a sweep. But we'll see how it all turns out on the other side.